here we go. You are listening to Rumination Tuesday on Law and Gospel. It's an occasion when we take a look at a hymn, and the hymn we're going to be looking at today, I'm Tom Baker with Mark Smith, is God Loved the World So That He Gave. The hymn actually was heard around 1680. There was a man named Johann Olerius. He was a court preacher at Halle and a leading theologian of the time. I mean, he was really a leading theologian. He produced a systematic theology, a commentary on the entire Bible, a great many academic devotional books, and probably the most comprehensive hymnal of the period, entitled the Geistliche Singer Kunst. This occurred in 1671. And it was in that group this hymn appeared. In a section of hymns, what was it doing? Teaching the chief articles of the Christian faith. The translation is by August Cruel, who died in 1923. And with some alterations, it is in most Lutheran hymn books to the present. So it's a pretty popular hymn. Uh, what do you think of it, Pastor Smith? I'd be curious to know the name of the author again. What's his name? Johann Olerius, O-L-E-A-R-I-U-S. Okay, Whether he authored it or not could be a question because if you look in our hymnal, it's not indicated. It's just that he put out a hymnal and it was found in there. So I, I who authored it, we're not sure, but he was the one responsible for bringing it to the attention of the Christian church. Yeah, it's a good standard hymn. It's the hymn of the day this coming Sunday, and I'm going to use it as the uh, distribution hymn when we distribute the Lord's Supper. Yeah, very good. In fact, uh, a lot of people are wondering, what do you mean I'm going to use it because they know you're retired? Tell us your experience in your first Sunday sermon at this congregation last Sunday. <laughs> well, you, you always put me on the spot, Tom. No, I tell you, I'm very happy to have been uh, asked to serve as a vacancy pastor for St. Paul's Lutheran Church out in Wildwood. Yes. Fine congregation. Uh, the, the church goes back to 1883, so more than 100 wow. years already. And uh, I just uh, enjoy it. Uh, we've, we've started up a couple of Bible studies, uh, uh, one on Thursday and then uh, one between the services on Sunday. Our service, services Sunday are at 8.30 and then again at 10.30. And uh, I'm taking the congregation through a, a series of sermons uh, Lenten sermons, uh, the overarching theme of which is uh, sermons from Jesus' enemies. It's kind of an interesting series, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm, I'm enjoying the people out there, too. It's, uh, it's a privilege to serve in that capacity. Yes, uh, Pastor Steve Reardon was a member of my congregation, and his wife yes, was we know. really yes, we all involved know. with... Uh... <laughs> yes. Okay, Pastor Steve Reardon was a member of my congregation, and his wife was very involved in the pro-life movement, and yes. that's a real pro-life congregation there. 
Oh, absolutely, yes. And as you as you were going to say, his wife is also involved in uh, uh, international student ministry, which is a very interesting organization too. Yeah, we've talked to her about that uh, quite a bit. So this is for uh, folks coming from other countries, and they try and get a hold of them, help them out in their living conditions, as well as giving them the message of Jesus Christ. Right. So this hymn, God Loved the World So That He Gave, it's kind of obvious what the first verse is talking about. Yes, John 3.16. So go ahead and read that, please. Okay. God loved the world so that he gave his only son, the lost, to save, that all who would in him believe should everlasting life receive. Yes. Now, what I find it interesting, and I think my Sunday sermon is going to be about this, is this idea of everyone who would in him believe. And I'm trying to show them what belief is. And I think I found it. Did you know what the Old Testament reading is for that Sunday? Let's see. It's Numbers. Yes. Uh, I think it's Numbers. I think it might be the uh, the uh, the serpent put yes. on a pole. Is that it? Excellent. Very right. good. Now, the reason for that is, of course, the people are complaining and Numbers says it very clearly. They're complaining against not just Moses, but also God. So God sends fiery serpents who bite many people and they die. And this is kind of the law of God, accusing them of not following his will. It's something that also happens in the United States these days. We're discovering that individuals who are going against the will of God in immorality are having some real problems. In fact, I just read an article. What's that uh, process where somebody who is female wants to become male? Um, oh, uh, transgender. Transgender. Very good. Yeah, right. thank you so much. That when surgery is done on that, they have a whole number of people who say that was the worst thing that they ever should have done, and they're having terrible problems. It doesn't help them at all because they think by going to a different gender, they're going to have a happy life. And Amazon is not putting their books out of those individuals who are showing that it was a terrible thing for them to go under that surgery. And so it's one more example of God doing things to wake people up to the fact that you go against his will, there will be negative consequences. Well, sure. Yeah, that's right. Anytime you go against your will, you're, uh, you're, you're calling down the wrath of God. That's right. But what that's... I want to do is talk about from that text, the people asked Moses to talk to God to get rid of the snakes. Yes. Did God get rid of the snakes? No, he told, well, he, he told Moses to make a bronze or brass serpent yep. and uh, put it on a, extend it on a pole, put it up on a pole above the people. And anyone who would look upon that serpent 
uh, would be healed of their snake bite. That is excellent summary because they only had to look right. on the snake. Why would that heal them? Have you thought well, about that? that? That's Well, that's what faith is. We look to Christ, and we, we, we look to him knowing that he is the answer for our, for our troubles, and he's the, uh, he's the answer for our sins. And so we, we look to him in faith, through the eyes of faith, and we, when we do that, we know that he will answer, that he will resolve our, our difficulties somehow. Yes. There were probably over a million people that left Egypt. Yeah. And so wherever the snake was put on the pole, not everybody could see it. They would have to go a distance even to look at it. Right. And you said it so well there that that was a matter of faith, that they believed what Moses said, that God had told them that he would put up the bronze serpent and whoever would just look at him would be saved. And so they were believing a promise of God. And that's what I want to talk about, about what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? It doesn't mean that you believe that he existed because there's a number of religions like uh, the Muslim faith who believe he existed, but they don't trust his word. So to look to Jesus means much more than just seeing him with your eyes. It, right. it, it, it's another way of saying to believe in Jesus Christ. Yes. And to believe what? His promises. That's right, to believe his promises, yes. The disciples... You know, the, even, even the devil knows, even the devil knows who Jesus Christ is. And oh, yet, well said. You know, yes. but, but it's... it's uh, it's implicitly trusting and leaning upon his promises, as you say, right? That's a good example to remind us that the devil saw Jesus on the cross. He knew Jesus rose from the dead, but that sight did not save him because it was not including trust in the promises. So the snake still continued to bite people even if after the bronze serpent was raised. And those who didn't believe the word of God just by looking at the bronze serpent, they would continue to die. But those who heard the word of Moses from God believed his promise, and therefore they walked, or however they got to where the snake was, the bronze serpent saw him and believed. And so I think your point is well taken. The task of the Christian church is to get people to look to Jesus, but with faith, trusting his promises. All right. Stanza two, please. Okay. Christ Jesus is the ground of faith, who was made flesh and suffered death. All then who trust in him alone are built on this chief cornerstone. So you have two analogies in this verse. First of all, he's the ground of faith. And the other analogy that shows also that he's supporting a building, he's a cornerstone. 
and the cornerstone is that section that upholds the rest of the building. And he is the ground of faith. How would you explain that in confirmation to uh, young people? I guess I would maybe use another hymn. Uh, Good. uh, on, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's uh, good. Some uh, you remember the story of the the man who built his house on sand, yeah, uh, not on rock. Uh, Christ is the rock on which we build. He's he's the solid ground of faith. When all other things in life uh, fade or fail us, uh, he he himself is sure and certain. Yes, even though John three sixteen is the first verse. The other verses continue to explain what is meant by John 3.16, something the disciples did not realize even up to the time of the transfiguration. They did not recognize that Jesus would have to go to Jerusalem and that he would die. And that was really upsetting to them. So John 3.16 indicates that the reason he died is because he has become the ground of our faith. I'll read stanza three. Okay. God would not have the sinner die. His son with saving grace is nigh. His spirit is in the word declares how we in Christ are heaven's heirs. Now, the one word that young people may not understand is the word nigh. How do you explain that? Near. Yes. Near, yes. It's just the old King James way. Yeah, I don't think we use it that much. You know what's interesting about this verse, Tom? It it was changed from the old uh, from the verbiage that we had in the the Lutheran hymnal. It used to it used to say, "His Spirit in the Word doth teach how how oh let's see how the goal we may reach something like that." Oh, yeah. And, of course, you can understand why they changed that. In fact, I've, I think I've got it right here. How, how is it? How they word that? Uh, his spirit in the word doth teach. Uh, how man the blessed goal may reach. Well, you know, that kind of implies that uh, that we can reach the goal perhaps even on our, on our own. Well and, you said. know, that's not true. So they, I think they wisely, they wisely changed those words to... Uh, his spirit in the word declares how we how's how does it say it again? I've lost my place. Oh how his spirit how in the word declares heirs. how we in Christ are heaven's heirs. Right. In Christ. Now, there's something interesting on that verse that isn't apparent. There could be a triangle in front of that verse. Why? Well it's 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 doxological. Which it's, means uh, I think it mentions it mentions the Trinity. Exactly. It starts off with the Father. God would not have the sinner die. Then it talks about the Son. His Son with saving grace is nigh. Right. And then the Holy Spirit. His Spirit in the Word declares. So our salvation is a cooperative work of the Holy Trinity that actually began prior to the creation of the world. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. But you're right. All persons, 
All per- all three persons of the Godhead are mentioned in that verse, aren't they? Yes. Yes. And it's considered to be one that was in the original uh, hymn because it talks about God the Father giving his Son who is near us with his saving grace and the Holy Spirit declaring through the word how we are heirs of heaven. Uh, what does it mean, heirs of heaven? Oh, that's a comforting. You know, I, I always share that once that little infant has been brought to the baptismal font and taken away baptized, that little, we are absolutely certain that that child is that, that's a child of God and an heir of heaven. Heaven forbid if anything should happen to that little child, if it were an accident or something, or suffered from a son of infant death syndrome, right. that child would be with our Lord Jesus immediately. He is an heir of heaven. Once he's been baptized, he's an heir of heaven. As we all, all of us who believe, are heirs of heaven. And what does the word heir mean? Heir means we're, we, uh, we inherit it. Yes, it's, it's an a, it's inheritance a, it's a word. It, it's not something we've won it's ourselves. It's not something we've earned. It's an absolutely free gift, which we receive by means of faith, faith which God also gives us. Yes, and all that faith is is looking to Jesus right. because we trust his promises. Absolutely. Stanza four, please. Okay. Be of good cheer, for God's own Son forgives all sins which you have done, and justified by Jesus' blood, your baptism grants the highest good. There you go, baptism. Yes. Yeah, you can't talk about Christianity fully without mentioning the Trinity and also mentioning uh, the um, sacraments. Is um, the Lord's Supper anywhere in there? Let's see. I'm looking. Oh, Jesus' blood. Yep, exactly. Justified by Jesus' blood. Mm -hmm. So you got a verse on the Trinity, and then you have a verse on the two sacraments. Right. And I've often said when I do a sermon, there's two goals I have. First, I try and say something to them that they were unaware of. But I also want to end the sermon on a note of comfort or cheer so that you don't give the impression that heaven will be your home if you continue to do something. Well, the fifth verse is excellent for that. All right, go ahead and read that. The fifth stanza. If you are sick, if death is near, this truth your troubled heart can cheer. Christ Jesus saves your soul from death. That is the firmest ground of faith. And so we return to that concept found in stanza two about the ground of faith. Right. The wonderful ground of faith is Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter even if death is near. And how many times have you been, as I have, with a member of the congregation who's in hospice, etc., and the good word that we try to tell them, to cheer them, is the promises of God, that even though this death is near, Jesus will still save their soul from death. 
Yeah, he that believeth me, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Says Jesus says, and he says that at as he just about ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, exactly. Mary thinks that he's talking about raising Lazarus on Judgment Day. Right. But he's saying, no, I'm going to do it now. Yeah, and a lot says, of people. I am the resurrection. I am the lot- resurrection. He says, yeah. And a lot of people don't understand what he means that you will never die. There's two deaths in the Bible. We talked about that last week. Uh, The one you all experience and the second one you don't. It's called the first death and the second death. Mm -hmm. The first death is here on earth. And it is specifically noted by the separation of the body from the soul. The second death would be eternal hell for unbelievers. Christians never will experience the second death. And notice what it says here. Christ Jesus saves your soul from death. Right. Right. Good point. Excellent point. Yeah, your soul goes to be with our Lord Jesus right away. Exactly. And uh, sometimes it's referred to as the spirit. And by the way, that's why Jesus said to the thief on the cross, you will be with me today in paradise. This very day, he says, right. I often ask congregations, well, how can that be if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead till Sunday? And what's the answer to that? Well, his soul, in fact, he says on the cross, I commit my soul unto, unto, how does that last word go? Yeah. Father, into thy hands, hands I commit, I commit my, my spirit. spirit. That's yes. right. And so he is in heaven before the thief on the cross. Yeah. And he meets the thief on the cross because Jesus dies before the thief on the cross dies. Yeah, isn't that a wonderful picture of him, of him welcoming the thief to his heavenly home? And... I tell you, you ask a congregation that question, very few people grasp what is really going on. Mm -hmm. They think that Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, the person. But no, it's a resurrection of his body. In fact, I would say that Easter Sunday is when the last judgment occurs for Jesus as when it will occur for us when our bodies will be restored to our souls. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you can't, you can't deny one without denying the other. If you deny Jesus' resurrection, uh, you're, also, you're also denying everyone's resurrection. And you, can't, and you can't not believe in the general resurrection of all flesh on the last day without denying Jesus' resurrection. They're, they're intimately connected. Well said that uh, you're almost quoting 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. All right. Last stanza, please. And this one does have a triangle in front of it. Right. This is truly doxological. Glory to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. To you, O blessed Trinity, be praised now and eternally. I like that first line. Glory to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, all three 
are referred to as God. Right, right. That's really something that is difficult for people to understand because it doesn't make reasonable sense, as does hardly any of the Bible make reasonable sense. You can't reason anybody into Christianity. That's right. You it can't takes... prove faith. No. You can't prove faith. It's, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's seen so clearly on the road to Damascus when Paul, uh, sorry, yeah, Saul became Paul. It, right. He didn't come to faith through reason. He came to faith by hearing the word of God, specifically Jesus himself. And then he was baptized. And even the disciples who knew he died on the cross and rose from the dead, that was another road to Emmaus. They had no understanding of why that had to happen until Jesus went through the Old Testament passages. He didn't reason with them. He quoted the Old Testament. He opened the scriptures to them. Yes, what a Bible class that must have been. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Mark Smith. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, I, Tom Baker, will continue looking what we're doing for our Lenten series, and that is the churches of Revelation 2 and 3. And we'll go to the next church and see how similar it is to today. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.